in church. Hey, welcome everybody. We've got uh, again with us uh, Pastor David, Dave Gadini, Andrew Metcalf, a Fellowship of Faith Church. Hello. My name's Steve Wells. I'm your, your, uh, the attractive one, the host today. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got a face for radio, so that's good. We've got uh, another, uh, for the second week in a row, Reagan Gadini. And our famous producer, Kent Jones. Good afternoon. Here he is. Anyway, welcome to another week of questions you never thought you could ask in church. Uh, it is Ask the Tough Questions About God, Faith, the Bible, Life. It's fun. It's deep. It'll rock your world. It'll rock your world. So, how you been? Good? I've been good. Yeah. I've been good. <clears throat> What's yeah. new in your life? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, that's, that's super good interesting. Good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Andrew, right. anything cool in your life going on since I, Dave has no life? I think let's just let's go with the same strain of no. Wow. <laughs> All right, I'll give you this, Steve. So uh, today's actually, uh, um, we're not going live today. This is a broadcast. It's recording. Yeah, yep. we're in recording. Still send in your questions. You can do them on Facebook when this goes live. You're listening to it right now. Or... Uh, Text them into 815-314-0363, and we'll get to them next week. Still send them in. Uh, for today's recorded session, we're going to hit a lot of the, uh, the backlog questions that we just haven't mm -hmm. been able to keep up mm -hmm. with. But as this, not as I'm speaking today, but as this is going live, we are up at the, uh, the cabin in uh, northern Wisconsin. Yeah. And I have just celebrated my 25-year anniversary. <laughs> Believe that wow. nonsense, right? Uh, marriage of marriage, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was wondering of what? that because, yeah. you know, I don't. If it's there, not could be true, a lot of anniversaries in this right. world, yeah. And I didn't want you to get you, get you in trouble with Tina. No, you sure, know, sure. I mean, she may have thought it was something else or whatever. But hey, congratulations! Yeah, no, thanks. That's that's thanks. actually really cool. I've been yeah. married twenty years. Okay, so I'm, okay, I'm five years behind you. Wow. Yeah. What are you like, 62? I'm 62. <laughs> yeah, I guess, man. Spot uh, on. <laughs> Uh, some days I feel like that's, I'm that's so cute, you guys. I it remember, is. I remember being married twenty years and twenty five years. <laughs> what what yeah. are you? Uh, what are you? What are you, Kent? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. All right, coming up on thirty. Wow. All right, I am thirty years old. Let's see, and that's that's about it. <laughs> you got a long way to go. Yes, you got a lot of life to live. I, I don't really envy that. I'm I'm really good at the place where I'm at right now. Yeah, like forties really are good. good. It's like thirties are done. And Barbie and I were talking, Bar but for those of you who don't know, Barbie's my wife. When we first met, her last name was Pardee. So there was the whole song, come on, Barbie, let's go party. Yeah, that was a yeah. big joke when we were right. together. And then, you know, of course, there's, what was your name, Ken? Yeah, yeah, that's good. You know, no one's ever I never heard that, that one before. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, I don't even know where I was going with that. Where was I going with Barbie? Well, it's because you're in your 40s, yeah. man. You love your 40s. So, yeah, Barbie yeah. and I were talking about this. Thanks for the reminder. Get me back on track. But we were like, he's you old. Know? He's in his old age. You yeah, can't he remember. is. He is. <laughs> his memory's as long the as his hair. Slipping. Yeah. A, man, I'm getting crushed today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go home. <laughs> I'm going to take my microphone and go home. <laughs> but we were talking about like stages of life and where we're at right now. And maybe it, maybe it only gets better from here. But this is probably like our favorite stage right now mm. because you're past the 30s where, okay, so the 20s, like you just didn't care, right? You know, it was crazy. You didn't care what kind of trouble you got into, or at least I didn't. You know, I was just living. Yeah, speak for yourself, Steve. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> and but, so, but I hear you. Yeah. But, but 30, you know, you start to become a little bit wiser to life, mm -hmm. but you still mm -hmm. don't know the answers quite yet. You haven't lived or experienced it. You, you're friends with maybe some of the people that are. 40, 45. So you're kind of gleaming off them a little bit. But now that I'm here at 45 years old, it's like, okay, I've got some wisdom, got some life experience, you know, financially yeah. we're okay. Our kids are getting older. I'm a grandfather now at 45. So I don't recommend having kids at 18, but if you do, it's kind of fun because I'm a young grandparent. So I get yeah. it. Like, it's cool to be able to wrestle around and play and get on the floor and like yeah, be a absolutely. snake instead absolutely. of instead not of break a head. instead of not breaking exactly <laughs> yeah. breaking yeah. So anyway, it's just a fun stage of life, you know. You know, Tina. Uh, so my wife Tina and uh, we were just talking about this, and I guess this is attributed to Oprah. This quote, but she says life is best in the forties, mm. and it's exactly what you're saying here. I mean, she had the same thing because you're at a point where you're just kind of secure enough in yourself that you don't care what other people yeah. think as much, yeah. but you're still young enough that you can do kind of whatever you want. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah as long as people so, don't take that as, well, you're just a jerk then. 
Well, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's what I get Just a lot. Just don't be mean. Right. Yeah, don't be mean. <laughs> it, I got but the, you're secure enough in yourself. You're not so obsessed with other people's opinions. You're totally not. Or hopefully And, and not. you're right. But I, so a good friend of mine, Molly Kino. Yeah. Molly, uh, what's Joe's last name? Joe, uh, okay, it doesn't even matter. But anyway, she sent me this text the other day, and she's like, I totally mean this in the best possible way, which if someone ever starts off... Yeah, the backhanded text, compliment, right, yeah. Text <laughs> no like offense, that, but... It's like, hmm. But it's this picture, and it's it's Bruce Willis, because he's bald, I'm, I'm assuming. But it says, people, they're saying, you look so unapproachable. And then I would say, and yet, here you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's great, man. Thank you for that, because that's totally how it is. <laughs> and yet, here you are, so what do you want, you know? Anyway, uh, questions today. We got we got some good stuff here. Um, yeah, I'm last, looking forward to the mailbag. Last know? week we had some angels and demons and end of the world stuff, and and we're going to kind of continue the end times this week. Okay, um, just to kind of hop off or stay on somewhat of a track as far as last week goes. And so, let me know when you're ready. Are you ready for for this? Yeah, let's do okay. it. Question number one. Question number one. What is the mark of the beast? <laughs> what is the mark of the beast? Yeah. It's a reference yeah. to um, a verse in Revelation. I believe it's Revelation 16. I'm a little fuzzy uh, with chapter and verse off the top of my head. But in the book of Revelation, it's talking about how under this time of persecution from these darker powers, particularly the beast and the dragon, and, and you know the, the dragon raises up this beast, highly symbolic kind of stuff that those who follow the beast will receive his mark. And, you know, I could just read the passage to you right now yeah, because yeah. Um, let me pull it up and we'll give it to you um, word for word. And we're going to kind of type it in here. And um, Revelation 13 and Revelation 14 both have it. Um, it fills out a little bit later with some others in 16 as well. It gets referenced multiple times. But let me just give you a couple of these. Here is um, Revelation 13, for example. It referring to the beast also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands and on their foreheads. So they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And then John fo follows up with this. And, and this is kind of like, a, let me read it and I'll tell you what he's mm -hmm. doing. Yep. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. The number is, and you tell me. Well, I'm going to go with 666. Yeah, most texts have 666, right. though a few variants have 616 mm. in the uh, scriptural mm. tradition. Interestingly, so let's talk about plot, and then let's talk about meaning, if we can go that way. We have these beasts coming up. And of course, these beasts are, I'm going to kind of cut through a lot of stuff. Most people are like, oh my gosh, is like in 2341, some like big monstrous horde going to kind of come up out of the earth and start reigning and ruling. I don't think this is what Revelation is doing. Revelation is a highly symbolic book, not written to tell us in the 21st century what our future will be. It's written to people in the first century to tell them and explain to them what their situation is. Mm -hmm. It's subversive guerrilla warfare literature, meaning we have Christians who are suffering under the oppression and the enticement of the Roman Empire and trying to be faithful to Jesus and trying to figure out what that looks like when there is both persecution and enticement to go the way that all other Romans are going and, of course, the prosperity and joy and community that comes with it. And it's a big message written to them with the basic message, hang in there. Hang in there in your faith. Don't don't forsake Christ. Don't turn from the path. Don't get enticed into these other ways. And the Roman Empire will get personified or pictured in all different kinds of ways. And two of these ways are through this beast. Mm -hmm. And it shows two different angles. Again, we're talking about the book of Revelation. There is a deep diversity of interpretive tradition on how to do it. I'm telling you what I think the best reading is. Within it, it personifies the Roman Empire or the work of the Roman Empire, if you will. It doesn't have to be like legal standing from on high, but just the culture, the, the, the way of life, the, well, the legal side of it too, um, is a beast in the sea and a beast from the land. And the one beast terrorizes while the other beast 
entices, wows, creates a sense of, oh, I want that. Both are images that these things that are terrifying you, it is like a big scary beast coming to get you. But this thing that's enticing you, that looks even like a lamb, it will say in certain places, is also just a beast. All right? And you're called to be people. In Genesis, humans have been given authority over the beasts. But now you have the beast terrorizing people. So the whole created order is out of whack. The whole way that the Christians are experiencing life is out of whack from the way God intends it. And so we have to start there because we have this, 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 this image just, oh, spilling out into narrative form of what Christians are facing in the first century AD, but certainly has, I think, life lessons to Christians in every century. And when it talks about the mark of the beast, you know, people today have tried to attach it to any number of things. Every generation has a way of doing this Mm -hmm. from, you know, social security numbers uh, in the mid 20th century. I remember in the 80s growing up through the Cold War and, you know, Gorbachev, remember, from the Soviet Union had the birthmark and, oh, that's the mark of the beast, right? Since then, I've heard it, you know, like microchip encoding or or who knows what kind of future technology. I've even heard people with the uh, the, the, the coronavirus vaccine mm-hmm. yep. going around. Um, and I think everyone's kind of beaten the wrong you know, path on that one. Um, fundamentally, in every day and age, there are going to be ways that people who do not follow God are identifiable. Yeah. And I think we can start there at the lowest common denominator. But for the text purpose, because let's say, let, let's talk about what it meant to these people back then. I want to go two different directions because, of course, there isn't a answer key to this. In the Greek and both Hebrew language, the symbols they use for letters are the same symbols they use for numbers. So alpha can be the letter A, as we would think about it, and also the number one. Likewise, aleph in the Hebrew alphabet the same thing. And, and you can do numbers that way. And they've actually um, found history of this where people will do these like number codes where they'll write in numeric form to kind of stand for the word mm-hmm. that they've created or vice versa. They actually found some graffiti. I forget which city it was in the ancient Roman empire. Uh, um, but there's actually this graffiti written where this guy wrote like on a wall, my heart is captured by the girl two, one, three. And then you yeah. can kind of translate yeah. that into a few different names. Yeah. It's fascinating that the number 666 translates to Caesar Nero, who is, of course, the first quintessential um, Roman Empire, uh, a Roman emperor known for, for persecution of Christians. And so he becomes archetypal through the book of Revelation and early Christian tradition for that which seeks to oppress and certainly the head of the state, even though Revelation is probably written later. And what gives that credence is that the variant 616 is how you would spell Caesar Nero in an alternate form. So it could just be kind of a code where John's going, hey, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the bees, kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, figure out what I'm doing here. I can't tell you it's Caesar Nero because my head's going to be in a noose, right? Or I'm going to be in the Colosseum. But I can write to you in code. And you as a Christian know the code. You understand the Christian worldview and can interpret these symbols, but I can't be indicted quite so easily as the author of this because I'm not giving a overtly treasonous con- mm-hmm. you know, right. comment. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So does. that's one way yeah. people have done it. But now let me share another way. And I find this equally fascinating. Several years ago, my wife and I went to Turkey. And everyone thinks of Israel as the Holy Land um, or or the land of the Bible, I should say, and it certainly is. But when you look at how much of the New Testament took place in modern day Turkey and early church tradition, I I mean, it's like it loses by a nose to Israel. And in Turkey, modern day Turkey, you can go and visit the ruins of many of these churches that the book of Revelation was written to. It was written to seven churches. Revelation 2 and 3 will spell it out. And the, the, the chief one is Ephesus. And my wife and I had the chance to go see the ruins of Ephesus. I would highly recommend it. It is unlike anything you've ever seen. Go with a tour guide because they will unleash the power and the, the history of what you're just looking at. But you can walk through this gate And I remember walking through this gate and it was basically a ticket gate. Mm. 
And just like to get into maybe a modern day stadium, you have to pay a ticket, you have to show proof of purchase. Well, Ephesus was the largest city um, next to Rome in the ancient world. And it was, it was this true cosmopolitan center. It, w- it was the shopping mall everyone wanted to go to. Schomburg. It's Schomburg. It's Woodfield. Yeah. If you're here from the Chicagoland area for us, you know, Northwest suburban people, I mean, you're going to like Gurney Mills here, you know, but, but on steroids, because it was also a religious center. It was a, um, uh, a cultural center. Um, it's maybe more akin to going to like the loop downtown Mm -hmm. or something where you have theaters and, and, and political centers and culture and libraries and, and, and of course store it's Michigan Avenue with Mm -hmm. all thrown in, um, to boot. But you didn't get to go for free. And whatever charge to get in, I'm not an expert enough on. But one of the things that's highly um, um, suggested is that as a way of paying honor and homage to the Roman Empire, you would have to burn a little incense to Caesar. And it's a money-making thing, too. It it has a twofold purpose. You would buy the Mm -hmm. the incense, which has a a financial segment to it in its way that the city could support itself and we could pay appropriate financial tribute to Rome. But it's also a show of loyalty that I burn this to Caesar. It, it's a way of like, if I can put it this way, their pledge allegiance to the flag in the day, you burn a little incense to Caesar and you say, Caesar is Lord. You get a mark on your hand, just like we get a hand stamp today and you can walk in. Some have speculated um, given the cultural context, that it might be referencing that in a very kind of deliberate sort of way. Um, and others have taken it more generally to refer to just how slaves may have been branded in the ancient world, where they may have received like a mark or a brand like we brand cattle um, on the hand or on the forehead. Mm-hmm. Whichever way it goes, the point of it is not to fear that, oh, no, I absent-mindedly got a vaccine or, oh no, I got a credit card. So now I have the chip of the beat. No, 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 no. It's nothing like that. It's talking about where your loyalties lie and how you allow yourself to be marked, so to speak, by those things that stand against Jesus, who is Lord. So when Paul writes in Romans 10, that anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God raises him from the dead, it's actually a very um, subversive things to say because they would say Caesar is Lord. And we miss that aspect of yeah, it today. That's true. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And so I think there's a call on every Christian and every culture and every time and place to go, your loyalty to Christ has to be more than just what lives in your heart. It's marked by how you conduct yourself And there are certain sacrifices and persecutions you may even have to face or limitations that you'll have to face for your loyalty to Christ because you don't allow yourself to, shall we say, go to the marketplace Mm -hmm. or be marked by a name. You get the idea. Mm -hmm. So that's probably more than you ever wanted to know about the mark of the beast. (laughs) But, you know, I'll tell you, this is the stuff that just little phrase pat answers don't don't do justice to. Because if I just came out and went, well, it's Nero, it doesn't really do it for you. Yeah. Well, I can you know, tell you as a fourth grader, you know, I read through Revelation. Why? I don't know. As a fourth grader. Because but, it's the way that all elementary and middle school scare yes, themselves. You I, know, yeah, it, right. It totally was. And I, and I was so freaked out. And so yeah. when I read the wisdom and find somebody with insight and whatnot, I thought, who is that? Who do I know in my class in fourth grade <laughs> that really is like super smart? And my mind went to this kid named Scott. And I, won't, I don't even need to say his last yeah, name. Yeah, shout out to Scott, though. This guy was brilliant. <laughs> and he would give the weather every day before class started because yeah, he wanted to be a yeah. meteorologist, right? So yeah, he's like nine he's years old. And he's telling, you know, like, what's going to happen? I'm like, wow, this guy is like a genius, you yeah. know? So I invite Scott over. And I'm like, Scott, I, I have something for you to read. I really want you to try and figure this out. Yeah. So we, I remember, like, I had a Bible sitting on my on my toy box. Yeah, I still had a toy box when I was fourth grade. It had Dukes of Hazard stuff in there and whatnot because that was yeah. cool then. <laughs> anyway, Dukes of Hazard is always cool, Steve. I, it's it's always still, cool no one tell you otherwise. Luke and Bo, you know, like cool guys. And, and thank you for not saying Coin Lance. Yeah, yeah Coin <laughs> Lance. That's not Dukes of Hazard. That's like. <laughs> That's an abomination. It's, you it's, want to know what the abomination is and you know in Revelation. It's, it's, it's it. coin lands. It's coin lands. <laughs> but anyway, so I, he starts reading through this, and after that, he got scared, of course, you know, and then yeah. he didn't want to be in my room anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I never found out like 
well, you can't leave me here. I'm I'm scared too, you know. So and, and the sad thing is, I never found out what it actually meant, and he never became a meteorologist. Oh, so, but he's, oh. Up, he's up in Portland now. Dude. All right, Scott, yeah. here's the thing. If you're listening to this, we want you to tune in. We want to hear from you, Scott. And we actually want to kind of have you as a guest on the show at some point, too, because, I mean, that, the that needs to happen. Hard to hard to predict around here. <laughs> it, it is yeah. hard to predict yeah. around it here. Corroborate Steve's story, too. It, it, it happened. Yeah, it happened. Yeah. No, but great question. Really appreciate the question. Thanks for asking on that. And any question you have. Um, 815-314-0363. This isn't recording today, but we're going live again next week. Again, 815-314-0363 or throw it up on Facebook. Yep. Um, you can post your question there as well and we'll get it either way. Yep. Yep. All right. Next question. Do you like that? Yeah. Good segue into the next question. Um, <laughs> but you blew it with, with commenting uh, yeah, on it, man. You know, because I got to like, gun shy on that. No, it's because I want to give a little insight to our listenership to say, you know, we, we this is our. This is my second. Well, this is our my third show. Yeah. So as a host, I've never hosted a show before. You're rocking it, Steve. So you're rocking. So it's it. like one of the things we're always looking for feedback. You know, like how can we improve? How can we do better? So so Dave's daughter is here with us again today, Reagan, and um, she said maybe find a better way to transition in, into the into the questions. And so I, it was recommended. How about okay. Next question. <laughs> there it is. That simple. So Except thank for, you, Reagan. When you do that, you're supposed to go into the question, and not tell the story of how you yes. came about the transition. It's a third episode, Andrew. Give him a break. <laughs> well, it's also recommended we go down rabbit holes. So rabbit sure. trail. So that's I'm combining both of the best of right. both worlds. All here. right. Anyway, next question. Uh, when is the rapture going to happen? When is the rapture going to happen? Yeah, I really appreciate the Just question. Just so we can plan. Thanks for asking. Let's so we can plan. You know, it's like do I, I want to go to the lake. You know, so. exactly. Do I do I book the hotel? Do I make the flight non-refundable? You know. So let's define what we're talking about first when we talk about rapture. Rapture is a term that comes out of a certain segment of evangelical Christianity. Really gained popularity in the 19th century. You don't really hear much talk before that about it. Um, and it's part of a certain end time scenario that comes out of premillennialism. Let me kind of walk you through this because the worldview is necessary to make sense of the question. Okay. Revelation chapter 20 will talk about this millennium or thousand year reign of Christ here on earth. And the million dollar question is, when does that thousand year reign take place? Or how are we to understand that thousand year reign? And there's three or four really prevailing positions called amillennialism, postmillennialism, dispensational premillennialism, and historic premillennialism. So we have two pre's, a post, and an a. Well, we all know what these uh, millennial. We hear million in English, but it, it's really the word that means a thousand um, in ancient languages. And uh, and so it, the millennium or millennialism is referring to this thousand year reign of Christ. So, a premillennialist will say, okay, l- let me walk through all of them again. Amillennial, postmillennial, dispensational premillennial, and historic premillennial. The rapture, I- I'm trying to kind of truncate here so we don't go down too deep of a rabbit hole, comes out of the dispensational premillennial view. Mm. And here's the worldview that between now and Christ's second or third coming, depending on how they do the math, to earth, we're basically going downhill, that things are getting worse, that we're going to hell in a handbasket, and that the state of the world and, and, and the human existence is, is, is on a downward spiral. And shortly before Christ comes to establish so pre, right, right this mm-hmm. millennial reign, he is going to take up or rapture to heaven believers on earth at the time. And um, there's a popular novelization of this back from the early 2000s called the Left Behind series, mm-hmm. which can give you kind of like a picture of it. I don't recommend the movie by any means whatsoever. Is that Kirk um, Cameron? I think one was Kirk Cameron. I think they Nick did it again Cage. with Nicolas oh, Nick Cage. Cage and yeah. I, Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I mean this was this was, you know, bestseller. Yeah. You know, there's twelve novels in it. And, and it was just comic a, books. And it took place in this area too, in the Chicago suburbs yeah. up here. Um, or at least primarily that's where the people were from. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's the idea that Christ is just gonna 
let's say, snap his fingers, or he's going to have a secret coming, is the way it's more um, theologically put. That Christ is going to come in secret the second time and take all believers up bodily to be with him in heaven. And they're going to be there for seven years and avoid what's called a tribulation, which is the worst hell on earth that you've ever seen. So that is what the rapture is referring to. And it finds some basis also in 1 Thessalonians 4. But I'm just going to submit that I think, while well-intended, the theological model is not the best one. Um, I think it's wrong. Um, Even though I think uh, many who believe it do so very sincerely and and can argue it very succinctly, I, I think there are some flaws to that entire approach. So I don't think by the traditional use of the term that there really is a rapture. I don't think that believers will be taken up to avoid a seven-year period of hell on earth at the end. But I don't want this to be misunderstood. I still do believe uh, very deeply in what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4. And I'm going to read it to you. Mm -hmm. So starting in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes um, to this church in the city of Thessalonica, um, arguably the oldest of Paul's letters, or, or the earliest, if that's a better way of putting it. And he says this. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, basically who have died, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep or died in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. He says, encourage each other with these words. Here's the encouragement. It would seem that because the resurrection is the main hope of the Christian faith, which is tied to the second coming of Christ, which it would seem that the disciples thought was very imminent, you know, early on after Christ's ascension into heaven, that they were living, waiting for Christ to come any single day. We talk that way, but we don't, right? They were, when is he going to come? But something started to happen. People who were Christians who gave their life to Christ, they started to die. And it started to freak them out because I thought we were raised in Christ. I thought we had new life in Christ. And we, we've come to spiritualize it very much 2,000 years later, overly spiritualize it, I think. Mm-hmm. But they started to have these theological and existential questions of, what does it mean for my dad who died? Is he not in Christ? Right. Is he separate? And he's like, no, 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 hear this, right? Hear this. When Christ returns, we will meet him in the clouds in the air, along with those who are coming with him, the souls of those who have died in Christ who are coming with him. But make no mistake, Christ is coming to earth. And the point is we are going out to meet him. We will be raised up to meet him in the air, kind of as a parade celebration goes out of the city to welcome the king who's coming in. And I think Palm Sunday Mm. gives the greatest analogy or picture to how this worked in the ancient world. If the king or the emperor is coming to visit, you go out and you line the parade route, like people do when the president comes today, right? Or like the Pope comes to visit or something like that. They don't just stay where he's going to give the speech. They line the streets. They make it a parade route. You're welcoming in, you're waving flags, you're cheering, you're clapping. That's what they did for Jesus at Palm Sunday. And when the King Jesus comes back in all his glory, I would argue that First, First Thessalonians 4 is saying, we who are still alive at that point will be literally raised up into the air on the parade route of his coming in. But the rapture is not disappearing from life on earth because the King is still coming into the city and will follow him back to the new heavens, new earth that he restores here which I think is the millennial reign. I'm an amillennialist. Mm-hmm. I have respect for um, especially historic premillennialism. There's a lot of biblical complexities here. I just think amillennialism works the data better. 
Um, so I see that millennial reign as being somewhat synonymous with the new heavens, new earth to come. And like yeah. you mentioned before, too, <clears throat> it, that left behind series, all that stuff, they say in secret that he returns. Mm-hmm. I, I which means I that Christ I hear that in the reading. And in, in, you, you see it more in the theology, which makes Christ's physical return his third return. Um, different people will nuance it different ways, but it starts to get wonky Mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. And I said earlier, and I just want to correct myself that I kind of equate, um, the millennium reign, the millennial reign with uh, the new heavens, new earth. Um, I I misspoke on that. Some will actually argue that way. I I tend to actually see it more as being synonymous with the church age, Mm -hmm. which exists right now. So that we are simultaneously in what revelation would call the millennium and the tribulation, Mm -hmm. Two very different images of what life is going to be like now. Yeah, right. Christ is reigning, and at the same time, there's tribulation. Yeah, so there, it's not the pre or the post, it's the during. Yeah, yeah. Hence why it's called A, because, well, it's 2021. We've been more than a literal thousand. Right. You know, yeah. right. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, great question. Thanks for asking. Yeah, so we'll go on to the next. Um, with that in mind, what is the judgment seat of Christ? Again, well, yeah, we, this is the end times episode, I guess. Yeah, totally. And, uh, yeah. um, you know, a lot of these references are coming directly from revelation, though the theology is found elsewhere. God has appointed his son, Jesus, or if this is easier, the father has appointed his son, Jesus as King and has given his authority to the son. And the fundamental authority of a king is to render judgment. It's to make judgment and hopefully the purpose of upholding and establishing justice, of which mercy is a part. Mm -hmm. And so central to Christian belief, and you can even find this in the creeds, is that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. The judgment seat of Christ is a metaphor. And it's just referring to how in the ancient world, people would literally appear before a judge who would sit on a seat and it was called a judgment seat, right? And that's where verdicts would be laid out. Mm -hmm. Well, every human being is going to be judged by Christ. He's the king and he's been given authority over heaven and earth. And so all of us, when he returns, will have to stand before judgment before him and judgment before him. Which, I see the rabbit hole ruins. Oh, so well, it, it. it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, part of me says, well, no wonder it's going to be eternity because it's going to take an eternity. So I'm, I'm hoping that the God of all who is omnipresent can do this in like one shot. You yeah. know, like yeah, right. Let's get, let's be done with yeah. this. You know, otherwise, can you imagine a lot? I mean, you think our court system's backed up? Right, right. So there's that. Then also explain how the church is maybe, and maybe it's not, it's not all churches, Christians, let's say, let's say Christians, not churches, how churches or Christians have a misunderstanding of judgment. Here's the, the, the key issue that I see. And I think once you get this straight, it sets your mind right for everything to follow. Christians today are fixated on dying and going to heaven. Christians in the Bible were fixated on Christ returning and resurrection. And those are not mutually exclusive things, but they are different focal points. So why the yeah. switch? I think for a number of reasons. I, like, I think, I go ahead, you, Andrew. As you, got, as you get further and further away from the time of Jesus, him physically being on earth, exactly. you're less and less concerned about it, or you, you don't have this uh, literal picture of what it was like when Jesus was on earth. So it's hard to go, Oh, that's what I'm looking forward to. Sure. So you're focused on, uh, well, I guess when is my time ending? I, I think each of us in this room expect to die before Jesus returns. Mm-hmm. I'm right? hoping not. I'm, I'm hoping I, not. I, I don't actually like, okay. I think he's going to return in my lifetime. I, and I hope you're right. And that's amazing. But I do think that you're in the minority on that of really? where people tend so? to operate. From. I do. I do. I would too. Yeah. yeah. Send those in. Do you think that Christ will return in your lifetime? Like, let us know. Yeah. Because I'd, I'd be super curious to know. And, and, and by that, though, we know that it's good to think that way. But is that our knee-jerk way of living? Yeah. I, mm. I, I, don't, I don't think either way that it changes the way I'm going to live. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just as guilty as anyone to say, of course, I, my mind 
detracts and goes to a right. thousand different places right. and my focus my sole focus is not on christ at all times yeah you know? so and to andrew's point I, I think that's the majority of it is just like you know your mom says you know when you're a kid i'll be there in a minute and she's talking with her friends and then five ten twenty an hour an hour and a half oh, i'll be there in a minute another hour you know you just stop just waiting you just kind of do your own yeah. thing yeah. likewise people today we see loved ones die yeah we see people die left and right we it's two thousand years so I think our thinking has shifted in many ways, but it leads you to some wrong long-term conclusions because it, it leads you to start thinking that that judgment day is death and that eternity is heaven as we think about it. When Jesus talked about resurrection from the dead and, you know, even the creeds talk about he will return to judge. Mm -hmm. And so you have to start there as the place of judgment and then work backwards but I think a lot of us too have the have the mindset that judgment day is going to be he's judging me for all the wrongs that I've done. Yeah, yeah, and thank you for bringing that up because judgment is such a bad word for us in our culture today. Yeah. But judgment can be good. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about the judgments of Christ, it is literally just making decisions um in favor and not in favor for and against. And uh I think C.S. Lewis put it this way, although I might be misquoting him, but I've heard it put this way that we as Christians often think of ourselves before Jesus as the judge as defendants in a criminal trial. Right. But when you read like the Psalms or the Old Testament prayers and laments, far more often they seem to appear as plaintiffs in a civil trial hmm. asking for God's judgment because they're suffering, hmm. because they're being mistreated, because injustice is being put upon them and they want God to intervene. It's kind of that Lord come quickly methodology. If you will. And when we forget that side, I think we forget a very big part of what judgment is about. Which is why I love singing Even So Come. Yeah. Yeah. Because great like, song. Come now, please. Yeah. You know, yeah, that, that, that's my kind of heart song. That uh -huh. that song, I know we talked about kids last yeah. week or something yeah. and I got to listen to it, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I don't but even so come is one that just, man, that stirs in me. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. Who's so, the artist on that? Uh, that is Kristen Stanfill. Okay. And so another one, like, go go listen to it. Even so come, Kristen Stanfill. Christian with a K. Christian. Yes. Spelled with a K. Yeah. With a K. Yeah. I tell you, <laughs> two things I'm terrible at in this mm -hmm. world is I can never remember artists and I can never remember lyrics. Mm -hmm. For all the things I can memorize, lyrics just... Which is so opposite. It's a good thing you preach that. <laughs> that, that. That is so just opposite because you think about like nursery rhymes. Well, that's why they put music behind them so that you can remember. But you also did that last week with The Muffin Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And I can remember lyrics but can't memorize anything else. Uh, like, see, like I'm, I'm, I guess, typical in that way of yeah. music makes me be able to remember it. Really yeah. Well. And I think it's just an auditory thing for me. I don't think I distinguish very well okay. the spoken word from the music. And I think the music is what often captures me more than like the lyrics. And yeah. maybe I'll get the chorus though. Half the time I get that wrong too. Mm. And, uh, well, it's, it's the whole hand, you know, to this day, maybe you can clear this up for me. I should just Google this, you know, can't Bon Jovi. Wait. Can't wait. Remember this. slippery than when I, I've never heard of, never heard of them. No, no. Good band. <laughs> is it, try and put them out of my, is it shout to the heart or is it shot through the heart? Shot to the heart. Shot to, shot the, to heart. the heart. I think. I don't know. Or is it I'm through not, the heart? I think it's two. I don't know. But you I'll, could I'll be Google right. it. I'll, I'll this Google is what keeps it. me up at night as opposed to doing shot a, a five-second Google search. Something to blame. Shot, no? through, yeah. shot through the heart. Yeah, look at that. So what's the rest of it? Shot through and the heart. To and you're to blame. Because you darling, darling, you give love a Darling. <laughs> darling. 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 I and apostrophe. Oh, yeah. Darling. 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 So that's interesting. Someone needed to correct uh, them when they, darling, I've never heard that in that song. Okay. Welcome to my world. Hey, darling, I thought it would be love. like, cause you know, the song chain of fools. Yeah. So I read this, uh, this was something going around once upon a time, but like the worst misspoken lyrics of all time. And someone thought it was Jane's a fool. Jane's a fool. Yeah. Let's instead of chain of fools, goes. Jane's a fool. There's and then he was singing about this girl named Jane and that she's a fool. What is the, <laughs> gives it a new meaning yeah keep talking because i'm trying to remember send in your worst lyric botch of all time you could post it on facebook or text it at 815-314-0363 or any question you got on god life theology or the bible blinded by the light okay <laughs> <laughs> i i don't i don't know what the lyrics are to that but i i think you should look them up because <laughs> i'm i still don't know this i know what i sing every time but it's not correct 
Is that what we see us singing? By the light. Uh, and like the next line, is that what you do? Wrapped up. Do you ever do that, by uh, the way? Yes. Just like totally space yeah. on it. So, so do you fake it and own it and make it up in those times? Or do you well, just kind of like mumble? No, here's here's my like, issue. Like, like, well, I have a couple things going against me in worship, right? Okay. One, I'm dyslexic. Yeah. So I will take phrases and move them around <laughs> yeah, to, right. to something that completely doesn't make sense or it goes against God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like, oh my gosh, I just sinned and I just led the whole congregation in sin. You know, so then I have to, you know, thank God we don't have to do burnt offerings anymore because I'd be busy all day. Sacrificing yes. bowls. And then, and then I, you know, I'm yeah. sacrificing them and then I cut my, my finger or something and swear. Yeah. And then, dang it, I got to go get another sheep or, you know, whatever it is. And then I'm That's why we have it. so much land in our <laughs> church. <laughs> for all the There's just furs all over the place. Uh, Steve was here again, wasn't he? <laughs> Doing his sacrifices. Singing worship songs. Jeez, oh, his dyslexia. Yeah, whatever. right, right. But there's that, and then like whoever's you know running our pro presenter, if they're not on, and I'm looking up at the screen because oh, I, yeah, I want to yeah. get my my attention off my stand, right? And I'm looking up, I'm like, in the half second delay, it's like you're killing me here. And my thought is like, I'm gonna murder that yeah. kid, yeah. you know, whoever it is. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Don't do it. But I'm not gonna do it because you know we're all the Jesus. hands and feet of Christ, yeah. and we need them just like yeah, anyway. So, so blinded by the light. Yes. You want to know the next line? Yes. Revved up like a deuce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> that is like the worst lyric I've ever heard in my life. Another well, another runner in the night. Do you remember? Was it a um, what you was? You don't that? even want to know what how what murder? I do in that song because I, and I can't even say revved it. up like a deuce. Revved up like, be a, like deuce. a motorcycle. Another runner. I can't in sing the that night? with a straight face. I don't know what a deuce is. Like like I mean, like I, I mean, like I mean, a deuce. I, do, I hope that's what they mean. Sometimes it revs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, all kinds of, yeah, this song this is off is the a list. Rabbit right, hole right, right. And yeah. I see, that's why I was like, well. Wait. Who wrote Awesome God? Remember that from, was, was that the 90s? Was oh, that even on, the 80s? They, who's the guy that's coming like, to our church? It's not Stephen Curtis Chapman. It's, uh, no, um, no, um, no, I, no. I just lost it. No, um, Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins, thank you. Um, when he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the Ritz. Our God know. is an awesome God. Now, here's the question. I've never even heard that line. That's how it opens. That's the first verse. Yeah, I've never sung that song. Okay, which is which is worse, revving the deuce or putting on the Ritz? Putting there's some Ritz. there's some really kind of I mean, and I, I think um, Rich Mullins is a fantastic Great. just yeah. kind of poet singer songwriter. But uh, man, we all have ones we look back on and go like, what were, what yeah, was I thinking? What was that about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or there's those verses in the hymnal that you just never sang. It'd be like we're gonna yeah. do verse one, yeah. two, yeah, it's like a moratorium, six, yeah, yeah. exactly. And don't don't to, sing verse five. Then we you get to the that. one that's on the next page, and you're like, oh, no wonder it's on the back page. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. These lyrics are horrible. <laughs> it's like this, this needed not, an editor. This is morbid. And like, verses six through twelve, you'd never sing. Yeah, like, or just a name. It's like R-rated because it's so gross and. <laughs> But yet it's in the hymnal. Okay, I'd be curious too to hear like what what people's like favorite worst hymn is or favorite worst Christian song is of all time. Mm-hmm. Like just the absolutely like ridiculous or macabre or, or, or you know. M-dub. M-dub has to be the worst for me. And I know I'm going to get crushed by like all the 55 to 65 year old women because Michael W. Smith is like their favorite, you know. And it's like. Did you call uh, him M-dub? Yeah. It's the only way to make them cool. <laughs> okay. I've never heard that before. <laughs> M-Dub. That was one of the first cassette tapes that I had. Was Michael oh, W. I'm Smith. so sorry for you. <laughs> Andrew, your childhood, man. Stephen Curtis Chapman and Michael W. Smith, they raised me. See, they're they both in the me. same category. Yep. Hey, these guys cut the ice for us, though. I Let's know. give respect to respect. Let's do well, there. Come they, on. Somehow we went from there to yeah. La- Lecrae. I don't know how we ended up. <laughs> right, right. What's the pathway there? But Yeah. All right. Now, see, I was more of a striper guy. Okay, so... Striper, I haven't heard. I mean, I've I've heard them, I'm sure, but I went to. We had to. It was called Love Fest, which is totally creepy. <laughs> it, like, it is a little creepy, especially yeah. if you're yeah. inviting friends, yeah. you know, that are unchurched, and you're like, "Hey, you want to go to Love Fest?" It's not like Woodstock. <laughs> it was different. The way that Burning it was, man. though, yeah. it was like yeah. out in the middle of this field, yep, you know, right, right, and, and food trucks. Was this in Nebraska like or where? In Nebraska, yeah, yeah. A little, little town called Milford, and uh, so. I'm kind of new to, you know, this whole environment, not really knowing. So I go and I check it in this like dumpy little area. There's this band that's set up and they've got long hair and they're just super loud. It's Petra. Oh, fantastic. And I'm like, 
wow, this really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, and people are like, you're going to love it. I mean, you, if you like rock, you know, I'm like, yeah, I like rock, but this is not rock. This is. So the thing that gave me the most respect tones. of all time for Striper, because, you know, when I was like middle school, I listened to them. And, and you know, and truth be told, uh, all sincerity, bands like them and what they had to endure and even fight within the Christian community. I mean, they, they, they really did pave the way for the Christian yeah. contemporary movement and Christian worship and things like that on a rock base. But I saw them at a similar thing and it was called Cornerstone Festival mm, yeah. and it doesn't exist <laughs> anymore. It was in Bushnell, Illinois, which is out by Western Illinois University in Macomb. Same thing. You just show up in a field. It was like this hippie thing. It was just, you know, you set up tents. People would, you know, bike in, walk in, sleep in a tree, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And they would bring these headliner bands back. It was mostly underground bands and ones you never heard of, but yes. they would main stage it. Right. And Striper came back. And of course, this was like, I don't know, 2002. They wear leather. Or something. Well, and they came and they didn't wear their yellow and black spandex. Oh, spandex. They aged well. No, no. In, in <laughs> they their look, they, they still had their, their look. But, you know, it, they still kind of put on the black leather pants and stuff like that. But Gigantic. they came out and they had fun with themselves. Yeah. They're like, you know, we know you want us to sing some of the favorites. I haven't sang the song in 25 years. And he literally pulled out the CD and was reading the lyrics off the CD. Singing <laughs> because it. he didn't. But, but just owning yeah, it, you know, great. going. And, and yeah. I, I loved him. Yeah, so the next time them. you give any grief to one of our singers, I'm going to be like, hey, but wait a minute. <laughs> 25 years later, uh, if they wear leather pants and come back to sing the song and all the way. they 10 all songs to learn. Come on. Oh, dare, I, dare I just ruin people's uh, ideas of how concerts work? Yeah, do So it. I would say probably... Uh, 50 to 80 percent that's a wide range i know those but. of you don't know by the way andrew is uh our technical director over at fellowship of faith and and uh his career in this has always been an avl doing i mean big shows and, and big productions of, of every stripe and variety so i mean he's well i, I think even rumor has that you were with like cardi b or something like that i was for right. it was a very short tour one of what her her kind of first headlining tour so right. I was doing doing video on that. Is that so, where you get your theology from? A lot of it. Yeah. yeah. A lot of it. That's where I try. So I didn't want to cut you off on it, Andrew, but I thought some context on this might help. I pull know? a lot of my influence yeah. for how I, I can my tell life. the way you dress. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this flat bill hat. What is he thinking? Uh, um, but a lot of shows and tours and concerts like that use teleprompters for the lyrics for the sure. artists. Yeah. Which I was like, when I found that out, because I was running a teleprompter and I was like, well, this kind of ruins it. Like, bit, did you huh? really write this song? Yeah. But when you look at, you know, someone's got a hundred songs that they pick yeah. from to sing. Yeah. Or when they're actually just singing along with a doubled vocal track that they've already laid oh, down. All of them. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's that. And then, uh, the Super Bowl <laughs> is always pre-recorded and yeah. lip synced. It's never live. Sorry, everybody. Like this is, we're mm -hmm. all about truth here. So Pulling back the veil. <laughs> We're answering the questions you aren't asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. <laughs> questions you never thought you needed to know the answers to. <laughs> I'll change the name to that. <laughs> that'll be next. That'll be an episode. That's a separate sure. podcast. Yeah. Here's the questions we think you should ask. Right. Here's the questions we all want to know. <clears throat> anyway, okay. Well, let's move on to our next question. All right. Get back on track here. Um, We've been through that one because you answered that one. Is the millennium literal or figurative? Some will say it's literal. You're post-millennialist, which has really kind of fallen out of favor. And certainly you're uh, pre-millennialists, but you're amillennialists will say figurative. I uh, find myself in that camp. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's let's kind of move on to some worldview. Yeah, great. Mm, okay? Great. Yeah. What is the Christian worldview? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Can you just sum it up? I can. I can. Real quickly. I can. Here's the Christian worldview in okay. about 60 seconds. Okay. God is the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. <laughs> and his son, Jesus Christ, is his only son and our Lord. And he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God, from which he will come again to judge the living and the dead, that there is a Holy Spirit, a holy, I'll use the word Catholic, apostolic, Christian, whatever you want to use, church, a communion of saints, a forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And I say this intentionally not to be trite. It's because those of us who have come out of liturgical backgrounds, we tend to look at these as just 
oh, I just got to go through this boring piece of worship, or maybe it is even meaningful yeah. for you, but, it, but it's yeah. a little bit rote. And we forget what this is absolutely trying to do is give you a Christian worldview that when you're sitting there going, what do I believe? And, and, and what are the cardinal truths of the faith? And, and how do I explain it to someone else that you have something that you burn into your mind that you, you can draw on. And of course I can elaborate on that longer through the apostle, uh, through the Nicene creed and, and the Athanasian creed. And those of you who don't know what I'm talking about or what I just recited, it's a classic Christian creed called the apostles creed, not because it's written by the apostles, but because it's based on their teaching. And I think those of us in the, the, the contemporary worship movement, uh, the modern worship movements, and, and those of us who come from more non-denominational and, and, and uh, um, non-denominationally rooted evangelical backgrounds, um, I, I think when we don't tap those enough, mm. we're actually missing something important. Not that we have to do it, but that there's wisdom in having it as a part of our repertoire sure. because repetition births learning and understanding and and it, and, it, and it creates a deep well of something that you can draw on in moments when you're, well, geez, what is the Christian worldview, right? Mm -hmm. Now, is it bigger than that? You bet it is. Is it deeper than that? Absolutely. And, and to summarize any worldview <laughs> in 60 seconds or less um, certainly runs the risk of cutting out the richness and and the wonder of, of all that it really is. And that's where we run to the biblical tradition, the um, 2000 years of Christian history of people who have written and studied and worked and prayed and fought and suffered and wrestled with God. It, it gets much bigger, but l let's not forget where we're starting from. And it's that place. You know, not when you just, you just said it and, and it's cool because I think sometimes in church in worship, you know, we just, we go through the motions, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so just now when you're reading that, my mind went to suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why is that even in there? Because it's historically rooting the Christian faith. This is not just a philosophy. You take the Eastern religions and their philosophies, Hinduism, Buddhism. And even though, you know, we can talk about the Buddha as a historical person, he's fundamentally talking about a philosophy of life. Mm -hmm. Christianity has a philosophy of life, but it's more than a philosophy of life. It's a history. It's saying this is a record of how God is actually working in this world, not just good ideas and platitudes of love your neighbor as yourself or whatever it might be, as good as important as those are, but this happened. And it happened to a datable event that you can cross-reference in history. And we see God as a God who interacts in history, doesn't stand outside of it. Mm -hmm. So every phrase is actually purposefully chosen for a specific issue or question that yeah. uh, was debated or argued about, or people were asking or, or that the, they were trying to kind of stave off mm -hmm. from being a, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. You said good and important, you know, love your neighbor. You know, I think we were discussing that the other day about how difficult that is. Like, well, that it seems conceptually seems very easy you know, as far as when we're talking about worldview and like mm -hmm. how that relates to us and how, what our application should be from that. And it's like, how are you doing with love your neighbor? You know, like, how you doing with it? Good. I if doubt all it. of us asked ourselves that question every day, the world <laughs> would be a better so place. Hard. I mean, yeah, it is really hard. Yeah. And, and that's why it's like, no wonder he put it at the top or one of, you know, close to the top anyway. Though, interestingly, mm -hmm. I, I would also argue that love your neighbor as yourself is not a uniquely Christian worldview. Mm. Uh, you'll, you'll find that love um, yourself. Well, not, not only love yourself, but you'll see in the Eastern religions, you'll see in Judaism, you'll see, you know, Hillel and, and people like that, the rabbis, uh, uh, before Jesus, um, you'll see very similar things, um, listed uh, because it's tapping in to the morality. That's a part of the fiber of our universe and the fiber of the human condition. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, God has written good and, and evil in each of our hearts, whether we want to rationalize or deny it. And so it should be as no surprise that people who have never read a Bible or have never heard the name Jesus would still know by virtue of what God has written into the tapestry of this universe and on their heart, the basic moral fiber of loving others and doing unto others as you would do unto yourself or not doing unto others as you would have them not do unto you or other manifestations of how this is put in yeah. Yeah. belief systems, ancient and future. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next question. All right. Is there such a thing as absolute truth? Yeah. But it's okay. not absolutely known. Meaning what? Meaning there are facts, realities of this world. 
there are things that are not left up to subjective interpretation that uh, from God's point of view that are debatable. There are things he has built and done and commanded and, and set in place in motion in this universe in which we live, which are reality. Religion should never be about what makes me feel good or what I like or just philosophical speculation. It is always a pursuit of truth. And truth should always be about reality. What is actually real? Otherwise, why are we doing this? We don't need another fairy tale in our world. But no one this side of eternity has a complete corner on absolute truth. I mentioned this in the last episode that Paul will talk about in 1 Corinthians 13 how we you know, all kind of now see through a glass dimly. Because of our human corruption, because of our lack of um, understanding of the transcendence of God, and, and a thousand other factors I can mention, none of us clearly sees absolute truth with 100% clarity. But that shouldn't lead us to a conclusion that it doesn't exist or that all things that are claimed now are of equal validation. Mm -hmm. So what do you say right now? Like one of the buzz phrases, well, that's your truth, you know, and it's like, well, and I know what people mean by that. They're saying it's your opinion. opinion. And of course, it's my opinion. I wouldn't be saying it if it wasn't my opinion. Right. Right. But is my opinion based in something that's more than just my own speculation Mm -hmm. and and, and something I fear for our world today is that. In strange ways, people are afraid to engage on matters of what's right and wrong and true and false and reality and not reality. We don't get to make up our reality. Look, I mean, you get hit by a truck, it's going to kill you whether you believe it or not. Mm -hmm. You know, I know someone can kind of text in and go, well, what if you get lucky? No, I I know. Go with the flow of what I'm saying here. (laughs) There are realities to the world and who we are that whether we like them or not are true. Mm -hmm. And I think those realities go far deeper into territory that a lot of people don't want to go. Can you imagine if your engineers operated with relative truth? Well, I believe this bridge will work. Well, I hope you believe it'll work. <laughs> Otherwise, why are you writing off on it? Yeah. But it's based in reality. But do they know that it will absolutely work all the time? And No, they don't. Right? Yep, you're right. Yeah, and I think it's very dangerous when you start defining things about yourself as you know, this is true for me, or this is my truth that is attaching a certain characteristic of yourself to your, your almost value and opinion of yourself. Like, so you can't attack that because that's my truth. Right. And it's like, okay, but is, is that uh, empirically true or is it something that you hope is true or that you just like to think is true. Like, and this is one of my struggles today, Andrew, with the, the, the strict delineations that people often make between science and religion Mm -hmm. or even science and philosophy, Mm -hmm. all are avenues of pursuing truth. And, and, and kind of a favorite niche study of mine is, um, late middle ages and the Renaissance period, and particularly the development of, of the scientific worldview in that time over and against things like magic and superstition and religion and, you know, philosophy and how that developed historically. And, and it's fascinating that the scientific worldview that we have today finds its roots in the Christian tradition. And in its roots, theology was often seen as queen of the sciences or queen of the philosophies. And, and, and what we call science today was just an extension of that, that there was a God who created this world and he created it with a sense of order and discoverability. And because of its predictability, we can learn things about it and aren't left to just kind of random guessing of the capriciousness of what the gods mm-hmm. might be up to or other forces at work. Yeah. And, and, and I think we do a disservice today when we, well, we uh, hear make them <clears throat> follow the science, right? Follow the science. Well, maybe follow the truth, follow the truth. Yeah. Um, okay. One minute, one minute. So with that then, because you, you mentioned, uh, Ren, uh, Ren fair. Did you go? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, Absolutely. When he said Renaissance, I was like, it's like the Renaissance fair. And oh, you know, no, 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 the era. And you know okay. what I picture? And Steve, I mean, one of these days you're just going to wake up on all things good. We're going to have this conversation <laughs> I, every week I on just, so many things. I man. picture him with like a little cloak on and then like riding this wooden horse going, you know, like, man, I love this place, you know, with you're missing the it, best in life, Steve, in your hand, and, <laughs> and whatever word you declare. So, so we'll talk about this next week. But, but Bettina and I have thought about this intently. Uh, and we, we, we have all the costumes picked out for your family, yeah, for wait. you, for Barbie, for Maya, 
but I know that we're wrapping up here. We're out of time. Guys, I want to thank you for listening today. This is questions you thought you can never ask in church. My name is David Gadini, pastor of Fellowship of Faith here in McHenry, Illinois, with us, Steve Wells, Andrew Metcalf. We've got Ken Jones producing. Hey, look, we're going to be live next week, every Wednesday, 1230 p.m. You can catch us on 21.6 The Net. You can catch us on a recording on the podcast, Questions You Never Thought You Can Ask in Church. Fellowshipoffaith.org. Um, Fellowshipoffaith.org. You can find us there, the Facebook page. Hey, ask us questions you're asking. Any question goes, we're going to do the best job we can to ask to answer those questions that you might feel uncomfortable asking in your church or in a church setting. Um Text them in to 815-314-0363 or throw them up on Facebook. I keep saying throw them up on Facebook. Yeah. That is the wrong connotation. Post them up on Facebook <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll love to get them. We're out of time. God bless and uh, we'll see you next week. Have a great week.